Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world. Interwebs, MichaelDukeShow.com, radio stations, favorite translators. That's the whole thing. You know what it is. It's right here. Good morning and welcome to the program, the only statewide radio talk show right here, The Michael Duke Show. Thanks for coming in and joining us all the way from Unalaska up into the peninsula, through parts of South Central, up into the interior. It is your home for common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio each and every Morning right here, The Michael Duke Show. Thanks for coming in and being part of it today. Um, we've got uh, got some stuff to talk about this morning. We've got some uh, uh, open line discussions. Uh, I've got the phone lines open, although I haven't decided yet whether I'm going to take some phone calls yet. I'm still trying to decide. Don't know, you know, don't just jump in there right off the bat. Uh, in hour two, we're going to be talking with Kevin McCabe, who uh, wrote an article here. Well, I guess it's been about a week now, just over a week, um, talking about education. And uh, like I said earlier, I <clears throat> I don't know what's going on with uh, uh, it's a there's two there's like two stories that I missed uh, in Mustry that just didn't show up on the front page and and uh, or maybe I didn't refresh fast enough. I don't know what was going on, but there's some interesting points uh, here to talk about in education and out migration and uh, everything else. Kevin McCabe has got uh, quite a great uh, piece in Must Read. Uh, Bob Griffin also wrote one yesterday that I wanted uh, that we highlighted earlier this week, and we'll continue to talk about uh, that talks about the rate of education spend in the state of Alaska. Definitely some interesting stuff. So in hour two, we're going to talk with Kevin about this and see what uh, he has to say. In hour one, we've got uh, some other discussions uh, and uh, talking talking points to go over, uh, including discussions on, uh, well, new fines for Hill Corp. We've got stories about the ranked choice voting um, effort uh, to put it on the ballot. Uh, we've got a new proposal to create a task force on psychedelics and magic mushrooms and stuff like that that I want to talk about. Um, and I also want to talk about uh, the governor's news conference yesterday, which... <clears throat> Almost no one covered, which I found interesting. And I just want to know, will the real Mike Dunleavy please stand up? Because I don't know who this guy was. It was at the press conference yesterday. But I want to meet this guy. We're going to talk about that here in just a little bit. Uh, I want to I want to know where this guy's been. We're going we're gonna to talk about that. And also, we're going to talk about how politicians, regardless of their location, regardless of where they are, regardless of they're still, it's not who you know, it's what you know, right? They're still the same, regardless of uh, where we're at and everything else. Uh, we've got some stories to talk about with that 
um, that reach all the way down to Kansas of all places. Uh, and we'll have that discussion here a little bit later in the hour as well. So first and foremost, welcome to the program every day, Monday through Friday. We try and bring you the best, uh, you know, things to talk about, information, um, you know, just kind of thought provoking stuff. Uh, we try and focus primarily on things that are happening here in the state because that's what uh, that's where we can affect. Uh, that's where we can affect them. And we're uh, we're gonna kick things off and start things going. Shall we? Uh, shall we? Shall we? Shall we get to going on? Shall we get to going on? Um, I think uh, I think we shall. Somebody just sent me a text. Uh, <laughs> I'll I'll use that quote later. Thank you. Somebody just sent me a text that was a that was a, a good quote based on what I was just talking about with the governor. Okay. So uh, let's see, where do we want to start this morning? Let's get some housekeeping out of the way, right? We'll start off over here. So <clears throat> Hillcorp, uh, which, uh, as most of you know, um, was uh, is operating the Prudhoe Bay units that they acquired from BP back in 2020. And there have been some questions about Hillcorp uh, and some of the things that they've done. Brad Keithley has talked on this program many times about one of the things that uh, Alaska lost out on uh, with that transfer of all the assets to be from BP to Hillcorp was that because BP uh, was a corp and Hillcorp is an LLC, um, we lost out on something like a hundred million dollars worth of uh, taxes that were. Uh, being taken in under BP that they are now no longer being taken in under Hillcorp. Uh, that's just one of the things. I don't know if I necessarily, I mean, they're working within the law, so I don't know if I necessarily have a problem with that. Um, they are just taking advantage of certain ways that things are being done. But uh, they have had a track record of some problematic stuff. Uh, the agency that regulates oil and gas wells in Alaska, the Alaska Oil and Gas Conservation Commission, has now assessed a fine against Hillcorp of $452,000 for rule violations on the North Slope. Uh, on Tuesday, they cited Hillcorp for unauthorized injections into various parts of the Prudhoe Bay unit, which encompasses uh, several satellite fields as well, according to Yareth uh, uh, Rosen over there at the Alaska Beacon. Uh, the company, again, has been operating uh, the Prudhoe Bay units since 2020 when they acquired all those assets uh, from BP right before they uh, exited the state. The violations themselves concern injections of what they call miscable gas, which is a substance that blends with oil to enhance oil recovery. Violations date from mid-2023 all the way, or 2021 rather, to mid-2023, according to the enforcement order, and the order issued Tuesday makes a final fine that was proposed in December. Uh, in the past, the commission has criticized the company for a series of lapses and violations. They had a $267,000 fine in 2021 for violations of the Milne Point unit, and they cited Hillcorp's lack of good faith and a track record of regulatory noncompliance and noted it had already issued more than 60 enforcement actions against Hillcorp uh, in both the Cook Inlet Basin and on the North Slope. Now, since that time, 
the AOGCC said Hillcorp has made some changes and taken steps to improve its performance. The downward trend in violations was discussed in meetings between Hillcorp and the AOGCC in December and January, according to the enforcement. So, I mean, anything less than 60 is a, is apparently a downward trend. So good for them. <laughs> I mean... The order said that while AOGCC's goal is to have zero violations and consequently zero repeat violations, we do acknowledge the overall downward trend in Hillcorp's violations, as Hillcorp noted during the informal review. It's encouraging to see that Hillcorp is monitoring its compliance history and seeing improved performance in the area. I mean, yeah, I mean, coming back from 60 violations that, <clears throat> you know. So Hillcorp didn't dispute the violations, although they did dispute the amount of the penalty. And the commission lowered the penalty from what was proposed in December, but it dropped, um, it opted against lowering the penalty, rather, from what it proposed in December. So the amount is the same, but it dropped a requirement that Hillcorp submit a report on the events since they had already conducted an internal investigation into the cause and ways to prevent future recurrences and shared the results with the commission. Um, and Hillcorp spokesperson said that they are pleased to see the downward trend in the compliance issues and everything. I don't know, man. <laughs> it, it, I guess I'm, I'm a little torn here because, you know, at one point it's how much government oversight and regulation do we need? And uh, is it really keeping us safe? And I don't know. I'm torn. I don't know enough about this to make an honest um to make a really uh, informed decision other than, you know, I know they've got all these agencies that are up there watching everybody everywhere all the time across the state, not just on the North slope, but everywhere. And uh, I, I just, I, sometimes I feel like when they issue a fine, it's like, well, you can get away with it, but you got to pay the fine kind of thing. And I'm wondering sometimes if some corporations, not necessarily Hill Corp, but if some corporation is thinking, yeah, we could do it this way. We're just going to have to pay about a half a million dollars to, is that worth it? Okay. You know what I mean? It's just that balance. I'm, I'm a little torn on that. I don't know how to feel about the whole thing, but, uh, uh, I thought I would bring that out there and, uh, and chat with you about it. Um, also credit where credit's due Forrest Dunbar. You never thought you'd hear me say this has done a good thing. Forrest Dunbar and Jenny Armstrong. The uh, both of them Democrats from Anchorage, one a senator, one a representative. They both sponsored bills that would um, move forward the cause of legalizing psychedelics for the treatment of depression, PTSD, and other similar functions. Um, the bill, which is Senate Bill 166 from Dunbar and House Bill 228 from um, Armstrong would uh, create a, t a state task force charged with writing rules for Alaska's use of psychedelics. Uh, Dunbar said in the meeting of the Labor and Commerce Committee, this bill does not legalize anything. Rather, it creates a problem-solving task force to in, in anticipation of federal legalization, because that's what we need is another task force to study the study of the study that... No, I'm just... I'm just but it looks like uh, at the federal level that there is enough movement to uh, open up the use of psychedelics for the treatment of PTSD and other mental disorders um, and mental health struggles that people are having. And uh, I am convinced that this could be a good way to help people out. Um, 
And so I think this is a uh, I think this is a great uh, opportunity to again, in some ways, uh, get government out of the way a little bit. Although we've got to create more to get more. I I don't know. Um, they did have um, a couple t- people testify at Labor and Commerce, including a psychologist from Anchorage who said uh, that uh, you know. She said, my hope is that it will not stay the last frontier, uh, that Alaska would not remain the last frontier in terms of exploring psychedelic treatment. Uh, there was also testimony from Beth Law, who's a resident of Wasilla and a military veteran. She said she undertook psychedelic therapy outside the United States, which unfortunately is more common than people think. I mean, that's really, um, well, hell, they made a television show about it, a Navy uh, SEAL team actually had an episode where they had a guy that was suffering tremendously from PTSD and the episode had him traveling somewhere to South America on quote unquote vacation where he underwent psychedelic treatment to deal with his PTSD. And I've spoken to several veterans who have had the same thing happen and they said it was leaps and bounds better than anything else that they tried to help to deal with PTSD and other symptoms. And again, I've, I've had a family member who's been um, utilizing uh, uh, some you know, some cutting edge treatments, I guess, with ketamine and other things to help deal with depressive issues. And it is working some miraculous stuff. And I'm kind of excited about this going on. So again, credit where credit's due. Kudos to Forrest Dunbar and Jenny Armstrong for sponsoring this. I would have liked to have seen them basically just, you know, open the door for this, but they're going to create a task force and we'll see what happens as the feds continue their movement on this. Although I don't know why we just couldn't uh, do what we did with marijuana and just break the mold and basically say we're going to legalize it in the state. Um, Oregon's already done it and a couple other states are talking about it. So, I mean, we could take a stronger stand on this, but, you know, we'll do what we do. What we got to do. Uh, all right. Um, well, I'm up on the break. We got to go. Uh, don't go anywhere. We will continue in just a moment. When we come back. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, big fine for ranked choice voting, what they're trying to do. We're also going to talk about how politicians seem to be the same no matter where you go. And uh, they seem to get special treatment no matter where you go. And then finally, we're going to talk about Dunleavy 1.0. That's the, we're going to, all right, we're going to be back with more. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Luke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay. Okay. Hello. Hello, my friends. Hello. Uh, What do we got here? What are you guys talking about? Anything? Anything? You guys talking about anything? Um, 16 down here, Knick. Better than 16 below. 
Yeah, I, don't, I mean, it's pretty warm out here this morning. I let the dog out this morning, and he was he was gazelling through the snow. You know what I mean? 20 degrees here at the house this morning. 20 degrees here at the house. Okay. Um, good morning, good morning, good morning. Um, morning, good morning. Oh, boy, the shroom convo. Well, you know, uh, you know, you can order them on Instagram, says Bill. I know. I love that. We had that show about the, the, the psychedelics and everything else. And man, everybody and their brother showed up in the chat room from some Instagram deal to, oh, try microdosing over here and this and that and the other thing. And I'm like, wow. Um, let's not forget, says Rob, in regards to the Hillcorp thing, let's not forget the BP was was that not forget the BP wasn't perfect either. They caused some significant pipeline leaks close to 20 years ago because they didn't want to do their maintenance and got some huge fines. Yeah. I, yeah, I remember. Uh, shrooms and Folgers go hand in hand, says Brian. <laughs> I thought it was Folgers and Vagis. What? Um, all right. Um, chronic Lyme on the Nero side have, Great results with microdosing, said uh, uh, on the neuro side, uh, not on the neuro side, but on the neuro side. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's lots of good stuff that are, you know, yeah. Uh, good morning, good morning, good morning. Ten below in Fairbanks. <laughs> Bill says he's going to text me a picture of something. I don't know. I don't know what he's going to text, but he's going to text something. Um, all right. So look at us. We're all caught up, man. You guys, you guys, you guys, how you feeling today? How you doing? I'm a little bit under the weather, quite honestly. Um, um, dealing, been dealing with an upset stomach for two days and I'm just like, oh, it's killing me. Can't focus. Um, I can't wait to talk about the rest of the stuff. All right, Bill's Bill's gonna send he's gonna send me a thing here. I want to see what he's talking about. Um. Uh oh, these are growing kits for shrooms. Yeah, this this is the people that were throwing the. Uh, this is people who were throwing the. Uh, um. They were throwing stuff into the chat room. Uh, and, uh, they're shipping shrooms across the border, man. Shripping, sh shripping shrooms, shripping shrooms. Um, okay. I have an old, a little gassy. Thanks. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but man, yesterday my stomach was hurting so bad. It was causing my back to spasm, you know, like, oh God, ah. I went to bed at 6.30 last night. I was like, no, I'm tired. I'm done. I'm I'm fighting it all day. I'm done. Boom. Oh, man. Do some kimchi spelling. Do some kimchi. Are you talking to like kimchi? Like Korean kimchi? I love kimchi. Oh, man. Um, Do some kimchi spelling. I don't know what that means, Rick, but I'll 
you know, I'll do it spelling or do it, do take, eat kimchi. Is that what you're saying? Eat kimchi. I could eat the hell out of some kimchi. I do love that. I love Bonchan. Okay. All right. Um, here we go. We're going to jump back into it. Hour one continues. Yeah, I got it. Okay. So he said, go eat some kimchi. That'll help. Maybe. I'll have to try that. We'll see what, what goes on. Common Chance, Liberty Bay's free thinking radio. Like, share, subscribe, ring the bell. Let's do it. Time to go. The Michael Duke Show. Proudly splitting the left versus right uh, dichotomy. Yeah, I had to look that word up too. I don't think it means what he thinks it means. There he is though. That guy, Michael Dukes, the one with the show. I hate that guy, the one with the show. Man, that guy is a... Oh, wait a minute. Uh, Hey, welcome back to the program. Uh, It is the Michael Duke Show. It's uh, Thursday. I think you're all ready to go and uh, ready to dive into state stuff all over the place, get informed, get educated, do all that kind of stuff. Trying to decide where I want to start this morning. Do I want to talk about the rank? Do I want to talk about, you know what? I think I'm going to talk about, um, yeah, I'll talk about the governor. Why not? Because I want to know, where has this guy been, right? Now, first and foremost, there was a press conference yesterday that the governor put on. And he spent much of his news conference talking about his education priorities that are reflected in a House education bill. Um, And I only found this story reported in one location. Alaska's news source, KTUU, they had it up on their they had it up on their website. Uh, They posted it last night. And uh, I couldn't find it on the ADN. I couldn't find it on the Alaska Beacon. I didn't see it on must read. Uh, And I'm like, where? Where, I mean, how did this, how did this get missed? Then I started reading into what the governor said. And I said to myself, self, where the hell has this guy been? Because all of a sudden, here's a guy that was taking a stand, a strong stand. This is a guy. This is the guy who hired Donna Ardwin. Right. Before he rolled over and became version 1.2 or 1.3 or 2.0 or whatever. This is the old Mike Dunleavy. Let me let me run you through it. He spent much of the news conference Wednesday. This is from Steve Kirch over at KTUU talking about his education priorities. That are reflected in the House education bill, including teacher bonuses, charter schools and increases to the education funding formula. Dunleavy started by saying, I would challenge somebody to find a previous governor in the state that has more educational experience than I. He touted his education record as a compass on Wednesday. He echoed previous comments that Alaska's public schools cannot rely on an increase to the BSA to solve their problems. He reminded people that he was a public school teacher, a principal, a superintendent, a school board president before becoming governor. He said, yet in some quarters, That's a problem. Why? Because I know education. I know it inside and out. And I can tell you this, and I would bet my retirement, if you put money in the BSA, there'll be no change in performance because we've done that year after year. 
Now, he said, does that mean that school districts don't need money? They do. And we're putting money in the BSA. But why don't we target it to the programs we know we have? This week, educators and lawmakers had pushed back, saying that they need that 1413 increase in the BSA to deal with the staffing issues and everything else. The story quotes the guy from the Monday meeting who's just like, I've got a choice whether to heat or pay my students or pay my teachers. I've got to heat my school or pay my teachers, one of the two. Um, I mean, I just, <clears throat> I mean, I don't mean to be, I don't mean to be too snarky about it, but pff, seriously, the governor did not mince words when the topics turned to the Anchorage school districts, nearly $100 million shortfall saying that there are always funded positions that remain unfilled. He said, and I quote, man, where's this guy been? If Anchorage is having a hard time accounting, let us know and we'll come in and help you with that. Another one of the, <laughs> I'm just like, okay, savage, man, where have you been? Another one of those priorities in the education package is the $5,000 to $15,000 teacher bonuses. He said he wants to study if bonuses are a better alternative to just increasing the BSA. We want to be able to do this for three years to study whether a significant amount of money will make a difference, Dunleavy said. Senator Logan Toby, of course, questioned the bonus proposal as a solution. I mean, what? I'm just, but all right. Speaking of retention, the governor was also asked if a just passed Senate, uh, state Senate bill proposing the pension plans, this is the defined benefit plan, would also help in recru recruiting and retention, as supporters have argued. He said, so there's a tremendous shortage of positions in the state of Alaska, and we're just simply not competitive with, you know, the federal government and other states and other local communities. Oh, that's Bill Willikowski saying all that. Dunleavy said he hadn't had time to examine the bill fully, uh, the bill fully but added, this is, wait, let me highlight this because this is, I should have highlighted this earlier uh, because, again, this is the quote. I mean, the other quotes were good. This one is even better. Dunleavy said he hadn't had time to examine the defined benefits bill, but added, we've got to stop being a make-a-wish foundation, meaning there's a lot of great ideas, but if you don't have the money to be able to do it, you've got to allocate your limited resources to the places you think are going to have the best outcome. We've got to stop make, being a make-a-wish foundation. That is, that is just the classic one. If your people are listening, Governor, I don't know if they are or not, but keep that up. Why, this is the guy we needed to see. If somebody else wrote your script, whoever your scriptwriter is, give them a raise. That's the kind of stuff that people want to see. I mean, that is just, I mean, come on. That's some good stuff right there. Lastly, the governor uh, commented on charter schools. And arguments from opponents that the it would strip away local control. He said the bill would streamline the process. He said, uh, you know, this would basically give people an additional pathway to allow the people to apply directly to a state board. He said, but right now, all we're asking in the charter schools is to allow the state to agree to the charter if the school district doesn't want to do it. I think that will allow us to expand charter schools. I think that will allow us to expand potentially existing charter schools so there's no more wait list. Now, the Anchorage School District had no comment on the governor's remarks at the time. And I don't know if David Boyle's in the chat room right here this morning, but I know that when they talked about cutting all these teacher positions, because that was one of their big announcements the other day, 
yesterday, $651 million, you know, budget that they're cutting a bunch of positions. Um, they never mentioned that they're cutting positions that are unfilled, right? They just say, you notice they not say they're firing anybody. They're not talking, they're talking about positions that are unfilled. So the governor, <laughs> this is savage. The governor is just like, uh, you know, he said, uh, there are always funded positions that remain unfilled. If Anchorage is having a hard time accounting, let us know and we'll come in and help you with that. I mean, Juno obviously needs some help with that. <laughs> but this was this was just savage. I don't know where this guy has been for the last three years. I mean, is this like, you know, they had a Stepford governor up there for a couple of years, just kind of mm -hmm, waving, you know, and everything else. And he made it out of his he made it out of the solitary confinement and was able to, to, to wrest control back to himself. Where has this governor been? I mean, I I because he just lays it out there. He says exactly what he's talking about. He touts his experience specifically on the subject. He basically lays it out and said, if you put money, there's going to be no change because this is exactly what we've done year after year. You know, talking about uh, Anchorage's shortfall, he says, if you guys are having a hard time accounting for this stuff, let me know. We'll send some accountants over to help you. And finally, his comment, I mean, I I really should go back and pull this out as a, uh, as a soundbite. We've got to stop being a Make-A-Wish Foundation, meaning there's lots of great ideas, but you don't have the money to be able to do it. You've got to allocate your limited resources to the places you think you're going to have the best outcome. But we've got to stop being a Make-A-Wish Foundation, which is, ex I mean, that's exactly what the problem is. Everybody comes out with, oh, I've got another program. Oh, I've got a good idea. Oh, I'd like to do that. Oh, I'd like to do that. Okay, great. We'd all love to do all that. But, I mean, <laughs> did, wow, Make-A-Wish Foundation. I love it. Um, I think this is, uh, I, I think this is some great stuff. Now, the question is, is this just like a one-time thing? I mean, did somebody hand him a cup of coffee before he did this press conference? And so he was all jacked up on caffeine and and now he's going to go back to the sedate, quiet, behind the scenes, the guy you hardly ever see. I mean, I hope, Governor, I hope somebody from your staff is listening to this. I don't know if they are or not, but my God, this is what you need, man. This is what, this is the kind of governor we were looking for. This is why we elected you in the first place, because you took these kind of you hired the Donna Ardwins of the world to come in and cut the government and make those and make those changes and do what needed to be done. Yet that was the Dunleavy 1.0 version 1.0. And I know you took the slings and arrows and I know you got the beat down from, you know, the whole Scott, you know, Scooter Kendall and the whole recall effort and everything. I know you took some slings and arrows. But man, shrug it off. You gotta find that. You gotta find that earlier iteration again. You gotta find that 1.0 version. This, because this this new one, this is like Windows Vista. You know what I mean? Everybody hates it. Nobody wants to use it. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I'd rather use Windows 97 than Windows Vista. I mean, come on. 
Nobody wants to use this. We need to see more of that. We need to see more strident. I mean, you've got the bully pulpit. You've got the ability to come on and tell Alaskans how you really feel. I mean, surprisingly, I mean, he just did the State of the State last week. I'm surprised he did another press conference. He hardly ever does press conferences anymore. He's got an opportunity to go on Facebook. He's had invites to this show ad nauseum to come on and talk about things. And he just sits there quietly in the background. And, I mean, I'm assuming he's doing work. He's doing something. But where is the guy that basically come out and said, you know, if you're having a hard time, we'll come in and help you. I mean, that's that's what we want, man. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for somebody who's going to step up and ruffle some feathers, who's going to step up and call them out on the pushwa. Who's going to come up and look them in the eye when they tell you all this stuff and just say the That'll just BS. They're just going to say it right to their face. Oh, we just haven't. You you flat-funded education. That'll just BS. Oh, you haven't you don't care about the children. That'll just BS. Oh, you just you know, you just want to undercut the everything in the dip. That'll just BS. That's what we need is somebody to just basically look them in the eye and go wrong. Hundred million dollar shortfall. How many unfunded position unfilled but funded positions are in the budget of the Anchorage School District? How many funded but unfilled positions are in the state budget? I mean, there's gotta be at least a couple hundred, yeah. I mean, at least a couple hundred. I remember when Tammy Wilson was in the legislature, she made it her mission to try and suss all those out. And at one point, she had quit counting that year at something like 300 positions that were unfilled but still funded by the budget. Yeah, maybe the governor got a hold of some shrooms and, uh, you know. Maybe that maybe this is changing, you know, he's he's over his PTSD from being attempted to being recalled. I don't know. But where have you been? Welcome back. Stay. Don't go. That's all I'm saying. Stay. Don't go. We need a governor like that. That's the bottom line. All right. We got to go. We got to go. Sorry, I'm reading the chat room comments. Uh, We're going to be back with more. The Michael Duke Show continues. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Kevin McCabe joining us in hour two to talk education and more. We'll be back with more right after this. Listened to by more staffers in Juno than any other show. Because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh man, they're gonna be pissed. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show.
Hi. 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 They also said they had to take money out of their savings account, said Rick. What? He's talking about the Anchorage School District. Yeah, Rick, I mean, did you did you not see the article that David Boyle put up talking about how much money they actually have in their uh, in their fund balance? How they actually have more money than they're supposed to uh, by law, but that law was suspended during COVID. And so they actually had something like $100 million in this account. <laughs> And uh, their fund balance was only supposed to be like 5% of their thing, and it's actually up towards 21%. And so they're crying about how they had to take this money out of their savings. Well, it wasn't supposed to be there to begin with. Did you not see that? That, I mean, that's, that's some crazy stuff. Um. Jeannie says, I'm so over the smoke and mirror accounting. We didn't know the actual situation, not just what they say it is. It's obvious we aren't believing what they're selling. I, I Exactly. I mean, when they say, well, this is the button, of course, they don't tell you about all these unfilled positions. That have been, That's the dirty little secret of state government, by the way. I, I, I don't know if, uh, you know, I don't know if, if you... I don't know if you noticed this, but that's really the dirty little secret in government. The funded but unfilled positions, that's the slush fund. There have been departments in state government where they have had unfilled positions for years. That position has remained unfilled. And we're talking about, you know, positions that are fifty dollars to $100,000 a year. And then they just use that money. We don't have a position, so we'll use it to do this. We'll use it to do that. I mean, it's it's it is the it is the dirty little secret. It happens all the time. Skeets tells us that uh, there's a couple thousand unfunded, unfilled rather, funded and unfilled positions. And I think his comment about it's no because I love the show when I said that's due to the staffers in Juno. Because their bosses told them to. They're listening. I'm assuming Skeets is down in Juno somewhere listening. And he just, uh, he's got the alternate Facebook account to, you know, names are, are names are changed to protect the, uh, to protect the innocent kind of thing. It's, it's slush funds, man. They're doing it all the time. I've seen this firsthand. All right. I've seen the way the state treats this stuff firsthand. When I used to work in uh, when I used to work in the automotive industry, I sold I sold auto parts, truck parts, you know, heavy duty equipment parts. I did that for uh, I did that for four or five years, and I remember getting called into the DOT facility in Fairbanks in the you know middle of June, and the guy he called me. I mean, normally I'd go there every couple three weeks, and but he called me said you got I need you to come over here. I got I got some stuff I need to order. I'm like okay, I go over there. And he just walks down the aisle with me and he's got, he's looking at the shelves of his back stock of what he has on hand. And he's got two or three on the shelf and he goes, I need two or three more of those. And I need two or three more of those. And I need some of this and I need some of this. I mean, it's, it's, it's a $10,000 order. I'm like, wow. And I didn't realize at the time it was because the fine, the, the end, the fiscal year was ending at the end of the month. He needed to spend all this money. Did they really need it? No, he had shelves full of parts. But if he didn't spend it, he wouldn't get it back. 
The Dirty Little Secret, says Brian. I beg to differ. It's one of a large number of dirty secrets. Okay, I'll give you that. It's one of those dirty little secrets. How about that? <laughs> Teresa says, funded and unfilled? What? Yes? You didn't know about this? Where they put a budget together and they say, we have 10 positions in the department and each one is funded at X level, you know, 50, 80, 100,000 bucks a year, however much they're getting paid. And yet they only have seven employees and have only had seven employees in that department for, I don't know, going on a couple, three, four, five years. And they take all that extra money from the funded positions and they just use it for whatever they need in the department. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's a Christmas party. I have no idea. It's just another one of those dirty little tricks. That's how they bolster up a budget, baby. That's how they do it. Uh, Teresa said she thought chivalry is not dead because the governor began his address by introducing his wife. Well, that's nice. But I agree with Melody. Where the heck has he been for two years or three years? Or Right? That's what I want to know. Where the heck have you been? I just don't know. All right. <clears throat> let's, uh, let's continue on. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like, share, subscribe, ring the bell. Let's do it. The Michael Duke Show. Seriously humorous with a pinch of intellect. <laughs> pinch of intellect. Sorry. That is humorous. Here's Michael Dukes. Okay. I mean, we've been talking about all the dirty secrets in government. The dirty little secrets. All those funded and unfilled positions. Yeah, that, that, that's one of the dirty secrets in government is that's how they use it for slush money, baby. That's how they do it for slush money. Um, all right. Um, so that was, uh, I'm glad the governor, I mean, I just want to know where this guy's been. I just want to know where this guy's been. I hope he sticks around. Let's just put it that way. Well, politicians do as politicians do. I caught this story on the AP this morning. I was uh, looking through some stuff, and it caught my attention because Alaska was tagged in it, in the story. And um, and all I could think of was, man, somebody's reading the playbook here in Alaska. Kansas is set to nearly double their state legislators' pay at the start of the next year, making their compensation uh, compensation better than it is for their counterparts in the majority of states. The increase is nearly $28,000 a year for rank-and-file legislators, boosting their total compensation from thirty dollars to nearly $58,000, an increase of 93%. You guys are amateurs. <laughs> amateurs. $58,000. Legislative leaders get additional payments because of their duties, and the House and Senate president are set to make more than $85,000 a year, up from $44,000, because leadership has its privileges. <laughs> 
The pay increase appeared to have bipartisan support, though lawmakers never voted directly on it. Oh, man. You know why? You know why? It's the same thing that we did here in Alaska. Because they never vote on it. Instead, they have a bipartisan pay commission that sets it up, makes the proposal, and unless they actively reject it with a resolution, it goes into effect. And they can basically say, well, I didn't vote for it. I mean, I don't think we need it, but I didn't vote for it. I'm just going to take it. I'm just going to take the money. (laughs) Some Kansas legislators have complained for years that their annual compensation of $30,000 a year isn't enough to live on year round. While their duties as lawmakers cut into outside work or even prevent them from holding down other jobs. Boy, does any of this sound familiar? Does any of this sound familiar? And then it mentions Alaska. Alaska's lawmaker salaries rose by 67% from the start of the year to $84,000. Uh, by the way, that doesn't include the, uh, doesn't include the per diem payments. Just saying. New Jersey legislators see their pay increase in 2026, also 67%, up to $82,000. But New York? New York. Your lawmakers received a tremendous raise. It's huge. It's a huge raise. Starting in 2023, New York legislators are making $142,000 a year. $142,000. (laughs) I am in the wrong business. I am in the wrong business. Uh... And then it goes into the history of the state. Kansas is a state. The lawmakers back in 1861 said they were to receive $3 a day. And it goes into those. But what I love is the people who tried to stop it are immediately accused of just political grandstanding. Oh, it's just political theater, said the Senate president for one of the members who tried to, uh, you know, bring the resolution out onto the floor so they could at least debate it before they accepted it. And the Senate president... Bert Stead, I mean, uh, Gary, St- I mean, uh, Ty Masterson said, uh, oh, it's just kind of political theater. I mean, they did get a chance to review it. And, uh, uh, you know, it's uh... <laughs> politicians are the same everywhere. I mean, that's just, you know. So anyway, living wage, that's what they're talking about. So much for the citizen legislature. Right. Uh, that's actually a quote in the in the uh, article. They actually talk about a business owner who has made seven to ten trips to Topeka, which is the capital, every year uh, in attempt to advocate for what he cares about. He said he wants Kansas to keep its citizen legislature, adding that when lawmakers take their oath of office, they promise to sacrifice for God, family, and country. He said, "I'm sorry, it's not supposed to be a job." Predicting that the big pay raises could lead to entanglements. With professional lobbyists. Well, that wouldn't be possible. I'm sorry. And if you just want more proof that uh, the grass is greener on the other side for all these people who have served in the past and who are your political leaders, just look at this article from a couple days ago in the ADN. The headline reads, and I quote, this is a reprint from Nat Hers over at the Alaska Public Media in the ADN. An appraiser told Anchorage its lot was worth $3 million. The city sold it to Mark Beggage for $2 million. You cannot make this stuff up, man. 
2019, an Anchorage real estate firm estimated the market value of a downtown parking lot in Anchorage is more than $3 million. Early this year, an obscure city agency voted to sell it for a million dollars less. The buyers were a pair of politically connected developers who are in the process of renovating a nearby hotel. Mark Beggage, former Anchorage mayor, U.S. senator, and Sheldon Fisher, former state revenue commissioner who runs, once ran for the U.S. House as a Republican. The, uh, the agency that sold them the lot, the Anchorage Community Development Authority, is focused on striking real estate deals that boost the city's economy. But the sale price raises questions about whose interests are being served by the transaction, as does the below-market lease that the agency previously granted to the developers, especially given Baggage's close tie to the two of the board's nine voting members. I mean, this thing is just so murky. It's murky as hell. It is absolutely two, two independent appraisers came in to examine the deal at the request of the APM reports and Alaska Public Media. Uh, they say the sale price was lower than the property would likely fetch on the open market. Um, they go on to talk in this article more about who these are and what the price is right. And then they get a quote from uh, from Mike Robbins, who is the uh, he is the, uh, uh, the the leader of the ACDA. He's a president of the ACDA, I think, uh, uh, during that time. He said uh, his agency was under a lot of financial pressure during the pandemic when they initially sold it or after the pandemic. Um, it was the groundwork was laid in 2022, according to a resolution passed by the ACADA board uh, in June of that year. The park, parking lot lost nearly $68,000, although that was during the second half of the pandemic. But a review of the financial records provided by ACDA shows that the lot made money before the coronavirus outbreak. So they were under pressure to get it done. And uh, in an interview, Mike Robbins dismissed the independent appraiser's conclusion and said he did his own analysis. After, after calling around to real estate agents around the city and going, what's land's worth downtown? He said the appraisal was a little inflated. And so that's why he decided to do that. Uh, I mean, this just again, this just goes to show, uh, by the way, Mike Robbins is now running for the... Uh, presidency, the chairship of the Alaska Republican Party, in case you didn't catch that, in case you didn't catch that one from yesterday. Uh, now that Ann Brown's stepping down, he's thrown his hat into the ring as well. Um, but it just is this whole thing is just it, 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 it stinks to high heaven and good job for Nat Hertz for finding this and pulling this out. But this is just another one of those little sidebar deals that maybe most people never hear about. Nobody, unless somebody like Nat Hurst digs it out, you don't know about it. Where politicians, you know, one rule for thee, another rule for me. I mean, we didn't go with professional appraisers. I just called around and decided that's what you, uh, you know. Oh... My gosh. Um, all right. <clears throat> so we're ready to, uh, we're about ready to jump into this. I know Kevin McCabe. Uh, oh, he's actually in the green room already. He's uh, he's an early bird getting the worm. We're ready to do our thing coming up in hour two. We're going to jump into this and we're going to start. Uh, we're going to start with him and talk about education. Talk some more about education. So there you go. We got 
Uh, we got, we got more. I'm sorry. Like Chris Story just sent me a text. You know what it's like. You know what it's like when you're a famous radio star. Appraisals aren't always the best value market. Uh, not that Begich isn't getting an underhanded deal, just FYI, says Chris. He's a realtor. Maybe he knows. Maybe he and I should talk about this deal on Tuesday. That's what we should do. Since he's the expert, we should bring him in to analyze this story on Tuesday. Read up on it, Chris. It's on the ADN right now. Go read up on it, and you tell me. We'll talk about it on an extra segment on Tuesday. All right. Got to go. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty Base, Free Thinking Radio. Be kind, love one another, live well. Hour two, dead ahead. guys talking about you're so random sometimes go ask alice um go ask alice that's what you guys are talking about here clap if you feel like a room without a roof because i'm happy uh from the geesel newsletter define benefits Pension. The Senate voted to pass a new hybrid defined benefit plan in February. Their modest but fair pension would provide firefighters, police teachers, snowplow drivers, air quality regulars, and more with the ability to to avoid retirement poverty. So glad she's looking out for those people while the rest of us just have to, you know, do our thing. Um, all right. <laughs> Feisty first half, says Cindy. <laughs> What's a feisty first half? Skeet says, careful, donuts are my love language. Yeah, yeah, I know. Donuts are horrible. They are absolutely wonderfully horrible. Okay. Um, I guess I'm caught up. It sounds like... <laughs> Melody says it sounds like everyone on the in the room is on shrooms today. Maybe... Maybe Bill just passed out some shrooms for everybody so we could all enjoy the, you know, whoa, dude, my skin's breathing. I mean, you know, could be a little bit of whatever. Oh, man. Um, Mark says, years ago, I complained about the city of Fairbanks plowing snow when it wasn't necessary. The Republican mayor stated it was federal use it or lose it money, not just liberals doing this crap. No, it's not just liberals doing. Again, stop looking at the party labels. Stop looking at the party labels. Bigger government, smaller government. That should be the yardstick that you're holding up to all this stuff. Yep, that's that's it right there. Um Okay. Now I have white rabbits stuck in my head. All right, we're ready to go. <clears throat> I see uh, it's Mushroom Thursday. <laughs> let me get let me let me check in with Kevin here to see what the audio sounds like to make sure that it's all good. Yesterday we had that problem with that guest; he was so quiet. But uh, we'll see if we can get it going on. Good morning, Kevin. How are you this morning? Good morning, Michael. How are you? Good. Well, you're not quiet, so that's good. All right. So I'm going to uh, 
I'm gonna do some uh, do some editing here if I can get this uh, pulled down just a little bit. Okay. All right. Uh, you ready to jump into this thing with both feet? Sure. I've never been accused of being quiet, by the way. Yeah. No. Exactly. I've never been accused of being quiet, or you know, or uh, uh, not obnoxious. That's my problem. Uh, <laughs> All right. Well, we'll uh, I'll be right back to you here. I'm going to put you back in the green room for a second. We'll be right back to you here before we get things squared away. Um, where's the cow pastures on the coast of Oregon when you need them? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. All right. Well, I think we're all caught up. Oh, man. Look at that. Did you hear that? That's... <laughs> My stomach is cramping so hard, it's pulling on my back, and it's hurting. All right. Sorry, I'll stop whining. Stop whining. Uh, okay. That's down. And we are ready to go. Just going to see. I'm going through the comments here, some of the older comments, to make sure I didn't miss anything that was poignant. Poignant. Um, chronic Lyme. We talked about that one. Maybe the legislators want us to be like mushrooms, kept in the dark and covered in manure. Well, yes, I think they probably do. That's how they want most people. They just want to be left alone so they can make our decisions for us. And it would just be handy if they just, you know, that's why nobody wants to leave Juno. Right. I mean, nobody wants to leave Juno for the legislative session. They don't want the session to be held anywhere else because they like being down in their little bubble where nobody can come see them except for the people with money. That's the whole point. Right. That's what they wanted. They don't want to be they don't want to be exposed to you, the average citizen. They they like it down there. They absolutely like it down there where they can be away from everybody else. They love that. That's why anytime you talk about, you know, moving the legislative session or moving the Capitol or anything else, I mean, the Capitol is a whole different thing because there's businesses that have built, again, their whole business model around servicing the state. And if you move the Capitol, that would, that's why, but again, the session, you could do the session. You could do the session. Kimchi gives me heartburn, says Chris. I love a good kimchi. I love a good banchan. If you go to a Korean restaurant, oh, man, now I'm hungry for Korean food. They always serve out the banchan, which is the little dishes of, you know, you get the roots and the vegetables and the spices and the pickled and the all that. I love that. Fish cakes, little fish cake strips. Now I want Korean food. That's all I'm saying. Ooh, so good. So good. And, yeah, I'd eat some fresh, kim fresh kimchi, like, right now. All right, we got to go. Uh, we're jumping back into it. Hour two is dead ahead. Kevin McCabe is our guest. We're ready to do this thing. We're going to talk about his latest article, The Pervasive Sacrifice of Truth in Favor of an Agenda. Kevin McCabe's our guest, The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Based, Free Thinking Radio.
Whoa, buddy, put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska. On this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Good morning and welcome to the program. Hour two of this Thursday edition of the show. Today we are going to be joined by our guest, Representative Kevin McCabe who is uh, my representative up here in the Matsu Valley for the uh, uh, Kinnikus Bay, Big Lake, uh, all over the place. Uh, he's covering a lot of stuff. Uh, most recently, he wrote an article for Must Read Alaska entitled The Pervasive Sacrifice of Truth in Favor of an Agenda. And it covers several things, but one of the big things that I want to talk about in it is the fact that he is talking about uh, education. And that's been, of course, one of our hot-button topics here. So let's get to it and get started with him this morning. Hello, my friend. Hello. How are you this morning? Good morning, Michael. How are you? You know, it's uh, 20 degrees. I'm feeling like it's a whole new day. I mean, that's a 50-degree swing from about 10 days ago. So it's it's uh, nice. it almost feels – I walked out last night in my shirt sleeve – uh, with the sun out, when I got home last night, the sun was out and it was shining against the house and I was standing there in my shirt sleeves and I'm like, this is spring. What's the deal, man? This is nice. Uh, anyway, uh, enough about that. How about you? How are things going? Uh, you know, we're doing all right. Busy, 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 busy days. You know, today I'll be going till six or seven o'clock. I have a bill hearing up in uh, Senate State Affairs on uh, gold and silver Um Yesterday, we had the combined in the afternoon, we had the combined um, House and Senate Resources Committee hearing with the NSTAR and the three gas companies, the three major gas companies in Cook Inlet, which was uh, rather contentious. And, uh, you know, so lot, lots going on. They uh, had a bill hearing on Tuesday on uh, uh, combined port authority, which seems to have uh, kicked the hornet's nest a little bit. So. Uh, you know, just doing what we do down here. Do, doing what we do. All right. Well, let's uh, let's dive into this article. And I do want to talk a little bit about your gold and silver bill at the end of the show today, uh, because I think that's a I think that's an important piece that we should be looking at. But let's talk about uh, let's talk about this article that you wrote in Must Read here from about a week ago, ten days ago. Um, again, the title is "The Pervasive Sacrifice of Truth in Favor of an Agenda." Uh, and it does deal with education, and I want to specifically peel that out of this article. But let's talk about the article overall. Uh, what's your point here? Uh, I mean, we've got the whole idea that truth is, you know, we're sacrificing truth in favor of some kind of agenda. Walk me through this from the beginning. Well, sure. I mean, you know, you've, you've mentioned it this week, as a matter of fact, uh, Orwell's uh, newspeak, if you will. So um, the uh, 
you know, the there is a group of people, the NEA or the school administrators, that would love to tell you that the House Republicans uh, don't favor any kind of education. You know, they say that $1,413 is education funding. And it's and it's really not. A BSA is not education funding. It's school district funding. You know, the before it becomes education funding or goes to the classrooms at all, it has to filter through the NEA negotiations. Right. Which may be three years from now if the teachers that the school district that they're in just got a contract. It might be a three, might be a five year contract. So putting fourteen hundred and thirteen dollars into a BSA and calling it education funding is nonsensical if you ask me i mean they really should call it they really should call it infrastructure funding right because that's what it does it pays they're using it to pay for brick and mortar schools for all the support staff for the administration it's not actually getting down into the classroom right and that's you know that's a problem and i you know we all understand that you know the matsu has the matsu is the biggest user of transportation systems for children uh, to get to school. So the Matsu's got transportation issues. The Bush schools have power issues. Some of them are paying almost a dollar a kilowatt hour for electricity, um, even higher for their internet. So, um, you know, we understand those kinds of problems and there's ways to fix those, I think, whether it be increasing the PCE for, um, for Bush schools or, uh, you know, solving the transportation issue a little bit as, uh, as SB 140 does for, uh, for the Matsu. So there's, there's a number of ways to fix those, uh, in saying that the, um, saying that the house Republicans are, are against education and against our children is, uh, you know, like I say, it's sacrificing the real truth in favor of your agenda, which is just more money. And if you look at it, then. That fourteen hundred and thirteen dollars has no basis in reality. It came from an online Google calculator where they input the last BSA increase into the calculator and said, "Okay, this last BSA increase was sixty bucks or eighty bucks. How much would it be worth in twenty twenty three?" And the number came out to be fourteen thirteen. So everybody puts those on their big red buttons and they wander around Juno and. Um, you know, try to beat us up on that's what they need. Well, is that really what you need? I don't think so. Um, you know, there's there's school districts. The uh, Aleutian School District in Dutch Harbor has two teachers and 10 students. And I think that the if you look in the deed website, my figures on Excel spreadsheet are a little different. But if you look in the deed website, 10 students, they're getting one hundred and fifteen thousand dollars per student in that one school district. So are we really, does everybody really need money or are we just focusing the money the wrong way? Right. Well, that's the thing. I mean, this is an all or nothing thing. Everybody gets paid or nobody gets paid kind of thing is what we're looking at right now. Um, But this is the disingenuousness of a lot of this stuff. I mean, again, you know, sacrificing truth in favor of an agenda. We've seen it time and time and time again. The flat funding of education. We've seen that phrase over and over and over. The flat funding of education. Now, I'm not a rocket scientist, but I was able to look at what the expenditures were 20 years ago and see that 20 years hence, that the overall spend on on education is up over 35% increased in the last 20 years alone. Setting, I mean, even outside of the BSA. So is it really flat funding or is it just a great talking point sacrificing the truth uh, for an agenda? 
Right. Or the, the, the out-migration is another one that they love to tell you, oh, there's this huge out-migration. If you look at our students enrolled in, in statewide, the numbers have been between 125 and 128,000 for a decade or more. So there is no huge out-migration. There might be an out-migration from the Anchorage School District, which is essentially parents either deciding to move to the Matsu or move uh, somewhere else in the state or take their kids out of school and put them in homeschool or, um, you know, that, that sort of thing. But by and large, the number of students has been the same. So out-migration, I don't buy it. Um, I think uh, Brad Keithley covered that a couple weeks ago on your show. 2% maybe? Yeah. 0.2%? Well, and what he's talking about there was the disproportionate that, yes, we are seeing some outflow, but it's mostly amongst the working class people. But we're seeing an increase in all the people who are making the big bucks from the government and from corporations who are uh, who are dependent on government spending and everything else. That's actually been an inflow on those folks. The people that are leaving are the people that have the brick and mortar, you know, the regular nine to five jobs uh, in the private sector, the working class. That's where the outflow is. Right. And then, you know, you I mean, if you talk, uh, I think the NEA put a figure out that said we were sixteen hundred positions short in the state, meaning, you know, their intent was to tell us that our, that teachers are, are leaving. And that's just not true. I think we're 500 positions short. Anchorage School District has most of them. There are There is no shortage in the Matsu. There's, I think, 15 districts that have no openings for teachers. And the... Uh, you know the biggest the biggest uh, vacancy rate is in Anchorage. Go figure, and and they also have a number of as you talked about earlier in the show unfilled positions. I think four hundred unfilled positions that they're going to cut, and uh, you know it, it's this whole emotional driving emotions of people so that we get emails, so that legislators get emails, and there's protests out here that say that uh, we're not funding education. Nothing could be further from the truth. We are very concerned out here about education and about our children. Um, we're just not as concerned about the business of doing uh, school districts. Um, and people need to understand that, I think. Well, and if you look at it, especially when uh, the uh, news media is working hand in glove with some of these folks, when they report on the fact that the school district is eliminating 400 positions and then immediately you start getting emails about you're making people lose their jobs, never saying that those are unfilled positions. That's the thing. I mean, it's 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 not a real it's a truth, but it's a half truth. Yes, we're eliminating 400 positions, but those are positions with no one in them. So right. why were they in the budget to begin with? To to fluff up the budget, to show right. that they had a shortfall, to say that they needed more money. I mean, <clears throat> this is any business that said, I've got to fully fund all these positions that I don't have people for uh, or fictitious positions that I made up just to fluff up. I mean, no, no business is going to operate that way, but the government does because then they can go to the news media and say, look at all these people you're putting out of work. I mean, there's nobody actually working those positions, but look at all these people you're putting out of work. And that's the narrative that gets passed along. Right. And, you know, I think our school districts, if they're going to operate as a business, they need to learn to be as nimble as a business. So if there is a school that is, enrollment is dropping significantly, then maybe we need to close that school. 
you know, maybe we need to take a hard look at that big monstrosity on the corner of um, where is it Lake Otis and, and uh, Benson or Northern Lights out there and, and say, do we really need a school district office this big? Maybe we could fit the school district, downsize it and fit it into one of these schools. Uh, you know, there's, there's so many problems like that in every single school district where they're resistant to, um, to change, resistant to uh, closing schools or downsizing schools or combining schools. Um, you know, it's, it's frustrating to watch, truthfully. I have a, a school in my district that's, um, or in, in my house district, that's 44,000 square feet, and it has less than 15 students in it. How do you heat that when it's 50 below? How do you uh, do the roof? How do you repair the roof on a building like that for, for less than 15 students? It, you know, so. Well, and that's been my question the whole time. I mean, we've seen the downward trend. We know the downward trend is there. It's been projected. It's been predicted. We knew that it was coming. And yet, what do they continually talk about is new schools. We need new schools. We need this. We need that. Uh, any talk about closing a school immediately becomes an emotional issue for the people who are in that neighborhood because maybe they went there or their kids went there or whatever. But it, they got to look at it realistically to understand if there are fewer students. And you've got empty spaces at other schools. You need to start to consolidate any business. If they were floundering, they would close branch offices. They would close, you know, other locations if they had. To. I've, I've talked to several business owners over the last two years who had branch locations who closed them specifically because of that, because business was down. They didn't have enough employees to fill those positions. They couldn't do it. So they consolidated down. I mean, why should government be immune to those kind of market forces? Right. You know, and, and then so now we reach another half truth or another um, sacrificing of the truth in favor of an agenda. And that's the oh, well, we can't have large class sizes. You know, we're going to put our class sizes up above 30 or 32 or whatever it is. And, you know, I, I first off, I don't understand that when I went to high school, class sizes were typically 30 and there was only one teacher. There wasn't a teacher and an aide or two aides and a parent in the classroom and that sort of thing. It was one teacher. Um, you know, I get that discipline was a little bit different then. And, um, you know, parenting and parent-child relations were a little bit different then. But I think Alaska has about a 22, one to 22 class size right now. There's a little bit of room to consolidate there without putting the teachers in an extreme situation, especially when they have usually have a teacher's aide with them or, you know, teaching. Right. So, um, you know, part, part of my article was written because if we're going to solve what people perceive as a problem, we need to have an honest conversation. We need to be honest with each other, not, you know, trying to trigger the general public to pressure us to bend to your will, if you will. So, uh, Kevin, uh, Kevin McCabe is our guest. Uh, he is a representative uh, out here uh, for House District. What is the district number? I've forgotten. Is it eight or 30. It 30? That's right. It changed. It used to be eight. Now it's 30. Uh, Kevin McCabe, our guest. Uh, we're going to continue with him here in just a moment. Uh, and we will be back at the end of the hour. We'll be talking about his uh, new gold and silver bill as well. Uh, right now we're talking about education and the lack of truth in uh in what's being said. I mean, you got to really peel through some of this stuff to get to the truth, which is unfortunate. That should be a job that our our uh, journalists are working on, but instead they're just like quoting facts from the press releases and stuff like that. 
Uh, we'll be back with more. The Michael Luke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We return right after this. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. All right, Kevin McCabe is our guest. Let me go back through the chat room to see if <clears throat> anybody has a comment that Kevin may. Oh, here's David Boyle. He said, I've done an open records request last week to the ASD for the number of funded vacant positions by job category. I don't expect the district to provide the information. I mean, Kevin, I mean, we've talked about this at the state level as well. How many positions are funded but not filled? Yeah, that's a really difficult one to uh, to parse out. I mean, you can you can look at it at the base number, which I've done before. That was one of the things that was in my campaign. You know, the troopers had 88 funded uh, but unfilled positions. Um it's a little bit different when you get into the finance of it and are they really funded or are they just there as a PCN? Um, but, but I, I don't disagree at all. If we, in fact, there was a bill, I think uh, it actually uh, maybe was Bart LeBond's bill a couple of years ago where he said, um, you know, if a position is unfilled after 12 months, you know, we'll give you 12 months to try to fill it, especially some of the, upper level professional positions, but if it's unfilled, then the PCN, which is the title of personnel control number, maybe um, reverts, you know, it goes away and the money reverts back. If there is any money associated with it, reverts back to the general fund. And, uh, you know, that was a pretty good bill, but there was absolutely no support for it down here. So. Right. Because again, if we couldn't fluff our budgets with all these unfunded or unfilled funded positions, I mean, it, it is really the one of the dirty little secrets out there, right, is that you have all these unfunded or these unfilled positions that are funded and they be essentially become slush funds for these different departments. You know, some of these departments have had positions that have been unfilled for years. They're still sure. they're still getting the job done. They're still providing an adequate service to the public. I mean, apparently, because nobody's complaining about it. But if they've got one or two or three positions that are unfilled, that they're still getting those monies from and they could shuffle that money around. I mean, you know, it, it's just a slush fund. That's all it is. Sure. And, you know, the, and the budget is, uh, the more I get into it, the budget is so complicated. Um, you know, you see things like the Alaska Mental Health Trust, which is supposed to be self-funded. Um, and they came to the legislature, not this year, but last year, and they wanted $5 million for some program or, or mental health program. And it's like, well, wait a minute, you're supposed to be funding that. Um, I complained a little bit yesterday in a, in a uh, finance subcommittee hearing about the Alaska Mental Health Trust and the, and the $5.1 million that they were asking through was actually not asking or asking for. They were not actually asking for. It's just the way it was listed on the form, DNR form, and it was money that was coming in that we were supposed to put out to the mental health trust. So it's the way the legislature is required to appropriate money in and appropriate money out um, that uh, sometimes creates a, 
oh, I don't know how you would say it. It's smoke and mirrors is the wrong way to say it, but it creates confusion with with legislators as well as with the general public. So, um, right. Well, it it ob- it obfuscates what's really going on. It's right. it's so it's so complex that it starts to obfuscate that the average person can't figure out by looking at the spreadsheet or whatever what is actually being requested, what's coming from another department, what's moving around, how the monies are moving. And I think, quite honestly, I think sometimes that's by design. Uh, I right. mean, you know, and and I mean, we even had that House committee meeting the other day where they were griping about the way that <clears throat> they laid out the budgets and showed all these deficits in the future. We can't have that. Wait a second. That's that's the honest truth. If you can't handle the truth, we don't we don't need to rejigger how we do the 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 uh, the budgetary projections just because they show a negative. It doesn't mean I mean, we've got to know that kind of information. You can't hide your head in the sand on it. Sure. And that's you know, that circles us right back to education. And one of the things that the uh, Republicans want, and that's transparency. How is your school district spending right. your money? And we've seen how we've seen how much they love the idea of accountability and transparency. They don't want any of that stuff attached to it. They don't want they don't want you to know how any and they don't want how well and we'll get into the 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 house bill here in just a second because I think it's important to talk about that. We're going to continue the Michael Duke show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Uh less than half of you have liked the show today. Please, please. Here we go. Public enema number one. Oh, wait, sorry. Uh, Enemy. Public enemy number one, which uh, makes more sense. On the other hand, he's a little bit of a pain in the uh, Michael Duke show. Yes, pain in the something. I don't know what, but uh, they're all going to feel it. Uh, Kevin McCabe is our guest, uh, who is the House Representative for District 30 here in the Matsu. Uh, and we're talking about the uh, the kind of the pervasion of truth, the death of truth, uh, people making truth say, you know, making it sit up and dance and say exactly what they want it to say. Um, and uh, it's it's some it's some interesting, interesting stuff, to say the least. Uh, Kevin, uh, we were just talking about, uh, you know, funded and unfilled positions. We're talking about where things are going and people making the accounting system much more uh, obfuscatory than than, you know, than it needs to be. It's it's very dense. It's uh, you know, it's kind of full of smoke and mirrors. And and the average person is having a hard time understanding where the money's going, what's going, you know, what's going on with it and everything else. And sometimes I wonder if that is by design. Oh, I, I don't disagree with that at all. It's absolutely by design in it, in it uh, you know, some of it, of course, might just be because it's complicated. The budgets are always complicated, um, but some of it is, you know, the, the person designing the budget typically is the person that wants, wants the money. The person that's um, presenting the budget is typically the, uh, the financial person at, in this department or that department or the, you know, this school district or that school district. And, and they're the same person that has to parse out the money or to spend the money. And, and uh, so they show you what they want you to see to, once again, bring their agenda along and, uh, and uh, prove to you that they need the money. So it's, it's uh, you know, it's very frustrating. 
Um, for a second, let's let's break down the House education bill because there's been a lot of criticism. It hasn't moved out of the House. It hasn't garnered enough support in the House. But let me uh, let me give you my perspective on what I see from the outside, and you could tell me if that was the intent. Initially, last year, uh, Senator Shower and others attempted to put some accountability measures on with a BSA increase. They talked about a BSA increase, and they said, if you want it, we can do it, but you've got to have some accountability on it. That, of course, was just riddled full of bullet holes. No way. We can't have accountability. Just give us the money. Shut up and sit down and give us the money. I see the House maneuver here in this HB 140 as basically saying, okay, well, we're going to give you an increase in funding, but because you won't give us accountability measures, we will choose the programs into which it goes into to make sure that the money is actually going to benefit the students and not the infrastructure and not the system. So you're giving the you're giving the the increase to education funding, but you're being very specific about it. And they don't like that. They don't like having their hands tied and not being able to do whatever they want with the money. Am I am I reading it right? Is that kind of what you guys were thinking? Give me give me the rundown yeah. here. Sure. To a certain extent, that's absolutely right. You, you know, uh, years ago, there was that whole 70-30 uh, idea where 70% of the money had to go to the classrooms, essentially, which at that time was teachers and students and, um, and actual education. Um, that was removed by statute a number of years ago. I can't even remember the date. but um, And now, if you talk to the uh, uh, Alaska Council on School Administrators, they will tell you that 72% does go to the uh, to the classroom. What they won't tell you is part of that is administration. So part of the function code that is listed as classroom is administration. And part of it is the entire IT department is listed as classroom. So, um, you know, you have to really dig into this to, to find that. It would be nice if it was transparent. You know, one of the things that nobody talks about, you don't hear at all, even in the seven and a half hours of testimony, you never heard anybody from the Matsu. Dr. Traney says that the Matsu would welcome accountability. He would love to have an online checkbook wide open and, and you can see, we could see how they are spending the money. And also, if you look at the Matsu, um, the outcomes are, are steadily and rapidly rising for kids and they are spending the least amount per child of any school district, I think, other than IDEA, other than the Galena uh, full correspondence. So uh, the Matsu is doing really well, and I believe it's because they're focused on kids. They're focused on education, not focused on the business. And, uh, they, you know, you never heard anybody talk about that in this whole sort of big swirl and churn down here. The Matsu was never even really mentioned in uh, we're what the second biggest school district or maybe arguably the second or third in the in the state. No, it's a frustrating thing. And, and again, I have always been one that advocates for if you want to do something, find somebody who's done it and find their methods and adapt it to what you're doing and make it work that way. But it just seems like we're constantly trying to reinvent the wheel on this stuff. Um, let's go back to your article <clears throat> here for just a second, because you hit on something else as well. And you talk about, uh, you know, this, this, uh, the, the problem, the problem is essentially people will do or say anything if it pushes their agenda forward. 
and that is even attacking their own. And and we've talked about this before, but I want to highlight this again because I think this is a problem. Um, we're seeing legislators, we're seeing people who are doing their best work trying to shrink the size and scope of government, but at the same time, they're taking slings and arrows from po- pe- people on their own, ostensibly on their own side. Um, and uh, you actually highlight this in the beginning of your article talking about Alaska right to life. Go ahead and, and, and give me the rundown there. What's what's happening there? Um, well, sure. So, uh, you know, this is a this is a thorny problem. There are there are many of us down here that are ardently pro-life. Um, but once again, we have to operate within this building where there are 60 people it takes 21, 11, and 1 to get anything passed. And, you know, just saying, well, McCabe voted for a budget that had uh, funding for abortion in it. Well, it also had funding for a thousand different programs in it that benefited children, uh, you know, children on, uh, in school, needy children, you know. So how do you triage that as a legislature? How do, as a legislator, how do you say, well, this one thing in this budget is going to cause me to vote against it. This one bad thing, and, and there might be 500 good things in it. So um, I think the, the single issue um, pressure, if you will, by posting um, all of these, uh, you know, all these posters saying Kathy Tilton, in this case, it was Kathy Tilton should have removed two people from the finance committee because they're not pro-life. Well, what they're not telling you is had we tried to do that, first off, Kathy couldn't have done it herself. It would have taken all 21 of us to do it, to remove two, you know, the other two people, and that would have destroyed our uh, majority. So is it is it worth it for the Alaska Right to Life to insist that we do that, that knowing that the consequences are we would immediately be in the minority and we wouldn't be able to stop any of this. You know, I, that's something that they're going to have to answer, but I don't, in my mind, it's not, it's not right. worth what they wanted us to do. We've seen so, this. Yeah. We've seen this kind of behavior from other groups too, uh, for some of the gun organizations and everything else where they're taking hits at people for not doing it exactly the way that they wanted to do it. It doesn't matter if we're making incremental steps forward, if we're not taking the furthest step or taking the most extreme position on every bill or every vote, then, um, you're part of the problem. You're the enemy, which again is not a helpful, it's not a helpful, um, solution. Uh, because all it does is it ends up confusing the issue, confusing voters, and alienating people who are trying to do the right thing. And I think that right. that's a big part of the problem. Sure. And once again, we need to get together and have an honest conversation and find a way to compromise in and amongst the pro, all the pro-life people and march forward together with, with our agenda, understanding that um, there are going to be things that we're going to have to say, well, we can't do that right now because we're trying to bring these people along with our majority to solve other problems. And it's, it's frustrating when people don't understand that. And, you know, then they, then they fill out all the, have these petitions at all the gun shows or at the fair and all that kind of stuff. You know that apparently there've been a number of petitions signed against me. I have never seen a single one of them, not one of them. When people sign those petitions, what they don't understand is that group is collecting your email address and your phone number so they can use it later against me or against whoever they want. 
it, it's not ever to give a petition to me to say so-and-so in district 30 says you should do this. I've never seen a single one of those. So right. um, it's once again, sacrificing the truth in favor of their agenda. Yeah. It's a complicated thing and it's very, very frustrating to see all those, uh, those things happen. Final thoughts here, Kevin, on, um, I guess on education, on the bills, on the outflow, we're going to dive into your bill on the gold and silver here in the next segment. So final thoughts on what we've been talking about this morning so far. Yeah, sure. So, you know, SB 140 will eventually come out of the house. It's uh, It's been good to have a little bit of distance and not try to um, force it into the time horizon that uh, the NEA and the uh, school administrators wanted to force it into and give us a chance to work on it and negotiate with the Senate and find a path forward with some honest conversation. And frankly, uh, we are working pretty hard at that. And I think between the three that the House has negotiating and the Senate, uh, we'll come up with a reasonable compromise solution that probably everybody will hate, but it's a path forward. Right. So. Well, that's isn't that the key to a good piece of legislation? Is this ones that everyone hates? I mean, essentially at that point, because everybody's given up something that they they wanted to keep. So that's kind of the definition of uh, of that. All right, uh, Kevin McCabe is our guest. We're going to continue here in just a moment. Up next, we're going to talk about his gold and silver bill and anything else he's working on in the legislature for this session. It's the first time we've had a chance to talk to Kevin in a while, so we'll get uh, some updates there. We will be back with more in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Back with more after this. Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Kevin McCabe is our guest uh, here on the program. Um... Tawny says, uh, Kevin, I sent you an email yesterday asking questions about financial literacy from MD's guest yesterday. Alaska is an F in the report card on busykid.com. I don't know if you <clears throat> I don't know if you caught the show yesterday, Kevin, but we had a great guest in the first hour who's got an app to help teach kids financial literacy. And, you know, one of the problems is, is that we're really not teaching that in schools and haven't been teaching that in schools for 30 years um, and that we have an F in that. Any thoughts on that? I don't know if you caught it or not, but. Sure. You know, uh, once again, though, it's, uh, you know, we change one of our issues with schools is the fact that we change out the curriculum completely every three years. And maybe we just need to get back to the basics, certainly financial literacy. I I think when I was in high school, they they had, uh, I forget what it was even called, you know, everyday math or something where you learned to balance a checkbook and you learned that, uh, you know, you you could actually have checks left and still be overdrawn. Um, Right. I can't be out of money. I still got checks left in the book. Right. Right. So. Um, yeah, yeah, we need to absolutely get back to the basics. And I think that's what the financial literacy, you know, the app possibly i didn't i didn't see the show and i and i haven't i'm sorry tommy i haven't got to my email yesterday or yet yesterday was uh was pretty whack so um yeah you know we were talking earlier michael about uh 
about everybody being upset. I was involved in negotiations for two pilot groups. One airline has bought another, and we were trying to put our seniority list together, which is always difficult. And the the government arbitrator said to us in our very first meeting, I, I know I will have done my job right when all three parties, the company and both pilot groups are pissed off. And <laughs> that's, you know, it's kind of the way it is down here. You know, you, you have to find a path forward. Nobody's very happy with it, um, but it is a path forward. So um, I'm sure that there will be things in SB 140 that I'm not happy with. I, I want accountability. I want an increase in uh, charter schools. I would love to see an increase in funding for um, for homeschooling. Um, you know, there's there's a number of things that that I want that are um, could be in that bill or maybe not in that bill. So uh, certainly the teacher bonuses have potential. You know, so right. We'll just, we'll just have to see. I I certainly don't want to go above 300. Uh, I mean, 300 seems to be the number right now. Um, but you just never know. Um, she said Utah has a financial literacy requirement before graduation. I think that that would be a that would be a great thing to do. Um, or even just again the you know the the busy kid thing is a is a pretty fantastic um, uh, app for that kind of stuff. I, I just you know look the problem is of course is that we've got an education industrial complex in this country, not just in Alaska, but in this country. It's kind of out of control. I mean, they are doing their thing. They are protecting their own interests. Uh, they keep saying it's about the children, but at the same time, their actions don't always match that. Uh, we see that, uh, you know, we saw that in the reopening of schools in places like California and New York where, you know, they wanted to keep the schools closed because they were looking to get social justice issues resolved and things like that. And people are starting to see. People are starting to wake up. Parents are starting to wake up. That's why you've seen this, you know, 40 percent increase in homeschooling across the country. Um, you know, and here in Alaska, we saw a tremendous leap forward uh, in the number of students who are now homeschooling. And now we can't get the, the this is the other thing. Now we can't even get the information on how many students are actually in school. The Anchorage School District, those numbers are supposed to be out in November. Here it is February. We still can't get those numbers. How are we supposed to be able to make these good decisions if we don't have all the facts? Right. We ask the same question down here. You know, there's there's many times when the you go searching uh, one of the websites looking for numbers and the numbers aren't there or they're, uh, you know, we did it just the other day looking for numbers on the number of troopers in Fairbanks per capita and can't find it. The number of troopers per capita in Matsu is wide open because they want to prove a certain point in Matsu. So uh, sort of sort of a bunny trail. But yeah, deed, the deed website is no different trying to find numbers in uh, in the education website is very, very difficult. Well, they're not even reporting them yet. I mean, they've taken the count, but they haven't posted the results yet. And at some point, yeah. you're going to go like, well, wait a second. What are you trying to say? Are there fewer students than you expected? So now you've got to argue for a higher BS. I mean, you know, it, it's just it's frustrating to watch this kind of stuff uh, go right. on when they, they haven't put the latest numbers in. The administrators know the ADM count and they know when they have to have a certain number of students enrolled in school. And, and so they'll, you know, if it's a small enough school, there's two schools in the Denali Borough district that are very close on, you know, a number of enrolled students, very close to shutting, having to shut down because they're less than 10 or whatever. So the school administrators know that they need to get that ADM up high enough to yeah. make it an actual school, and they do it. 
All right. Well, we're going to jump into this here. We're going to talk about gold and silver and then any other bills you're working on, Kevin. Uh, kind of a final roundup and update. Uh, the Michael Duke Show continues. Just over half of you have now liked the show for today. Thank you. I appreciate you. Uh, it helps get more pokes involved. That's what we're looking for right now. Here we go. Common Sense, Liberty Base, Free Thinking Radio. Let's do it. Okay, we are ready to go. Kevin McCabe is our guest, state rep from District 30. Uh, we're talking uh, with him now about uh, his new bill, which is gold and silver as legal tender here in the state of Alaska. Talk about the genesis of this bill, Kevin, and what does it actually do? What is what is the point here of uh, this new bill? Sure. You know, it was brought to me by a, a constituent who's a financial advisor, actually, in in, uh, in his job. And he said, hey, you know, I think we need to have a way for people, average Joe, to, to store value. Uh, you know, you can't put your money in the bank. The stock market's a little volatile. Maybe everybody doesn't want the stock market. If you put it in the safe or bury it in the vase in your backyard, it's going to lose value. So what about a gold and silver bill? And he, and he brought this to me. I think it originated from soundmoneydefense.org, um, but also uh, Economic War Room has, has been, uh, Kevin Freeman and uh, Mike Carter have been putting this out more recently. And, and so I built this bill um, to allow, uh, and I think this particular one was based on the Louisiana bill, uh, some of the language was, but to allow gold and silver to be used as legal tender. So um before now i mean right now before this bill goes through if you um, buy a one ounce gold coin it is seen as a collectible it can be taxed as a collectible if you sell it for more money um you know you could in certain uh, communities you could be taxed on the difference between what you paid for it and and how much you sold it for or even be taxed on just the, whatever you sell it for so the U.S. Constitution says that gold and silver, we can't, the state can't coin money, but we can use gold and silver as money. And the U.S., our founding fathers recognized that there needed to be a way for um, United States citizens to store value and to have value and to um, uh, use it for uh, bartering or, or for buying and purchasing goods or, or uh, selling goods and that sort of thing. So that's all this does really is drive us back to the Constitution. It allows you to save gold and silver, use it as legal tender if the merchant decides to accept it without it being taxed as a commodity. Um, you know, if, if you, you know, just like regular bills, if you buy a sheet of $2 bills and, and it's a collectible, you pay a tax on it. Even though they are $2 bills, if you spend, you know, if you, if, if you bought them and you're framing them as a collectible, you're taxed on it. It's the same with goldbacks or gold coins. But if you're using it as legal tender, then you don't get taxed on it. Just like you don't get taxed on a $50 bill or a $100 bill. Um, you, you know, it's 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 the vehicle that you're using, not the collectible part. Right, so, right. 
So this is so this is just a way, basically, to protect people from using or from being able to use gold and silver as a way to store wealth without having to be taxed on the storage of the wealth. Right, and you know, our our if you look at history, as soon as a as soon as a, a civilization gets or gets into a fiat currency, it begins the demise of the civilization. You know, it's uh, um. There has to be a way to store value without fiat currency, because right now our federal government is printing so much money and inflation is so high. And if you really think of it the way um, the way it's been described to me many times back in the early days of our country, you could buy the best suit in the country for a one ounce $20 gold piece. Well, right now you can buy the best suit in the country for a one ounce twenty, you know, one right. ounce gold piece, yeah, twenty dollar gold piece. That's worth two thousand dollars, right? So, um, the gold has kept its value where the greenback has not, or the dollar has not. So this is just one way. Um, uh, this is just one way to store value. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. That's what they always when they hold up gold as a as a way to hold value in currency. That's the that's the analogy that they always use. You know, if you could take a twenty ounce a twenty dollar one ounce gold piece, and you could buy a suit, or you could buy a gun, or you could buy whatever it is that you could buy. If you look at it today, you can buy those same things with a one ounce gold piece, and it just shows that it holds its value from you know eighteen fifty three all the way up till today. It's held the same value, whereas the dollar. You know, you can't buy nothing for 20 bucks. You know what I mean? Uh, and that's been part of the problem. Um, J- James asked the question, if you would discuss the tax, federal tax implications on the vendor who receives the gold specie for their products, as well as for the individual who uses gold specie to purchase something, which again goes back to what you were talking about with the taxation of a collectible. This instead would make it just currency or explain to us how that would work. Right, so it would make it currency in the state. I'm pretty sure James knows that there is no federal sales tax, and I'm also pretty sure he knows that the uh, um, federal income tax uh, is not something that we can control in the state. So all this does is control the uh, uh, control the tax in the state of Alaska, the tax that would be on the uh, on the gold and silver. Now, I know you talked in the past about some states were doing things like goldbacks and something like that, but this is not that, right? This is, uh, is this, uh, is this just for the precious metal itself? Is it for, I mean, what, what's, you know, walk us through the differences there and, and what's working. No, the, uh, this, this does involve goldbacks. I mean, goldbacks are known as specie, um, and specie could be coins or, or um, goldbacks. There is a definition of specie that the federal government accepts and that is uh, it has to have uh, um, it has has to have the uh, carat weight and the size of the uh, size of the <laughs> sorry I'm watching the comments um, you know like a one gold back is one one thousandths of a troy ounce of gold 24 carat um, so many states have uh, printed gold backs they're actually private companies that are printing in for the states south dakota is the most recent one and uh sure i envision alaska is somebody eventually stepping up and printing an alaska gold back i would love to see that i mean that would be 
that would be uh, uh, definitely an interesting thing. Sound money is something that, uh, again, most civilizations need, as you as you talk about. As soon as they create a fiat currency, and that's what they did when they took us off the gold standard, is uh, they created a you know runaway inflation. They created an unstable instrument that one day that's going to come back and bite us in the backside. I mean, we were. We're the world reserve currency, so we've got a lot of latitude. If we were some other country, we wouldn't be able to do the things that we're doing right now. But eventually, that's going to come back to bite us in the backside. Right. And with, you know, with the gold back, it's a way that you and I, people that can't afford to put aside money and save money to go out and buy a one-ounce uh, one gold coin, you know, to store our value. It's a way to buy small amounts of gold and put them in your safe, and they will uh, continue to if, it, if they don't accrue value, they will at least not lose value the way um, keeping $100 bills in your safe would lose money. Right. Um, what's the what's the reaction been so far on this bill? What's the, you know, is it is it moving forward? Are we going to see a vote on it? What's going on? Yeah, so it's in uh, state affairs today um, at 3.30. They are taking public testimony. So, uh, you know, folks could call in if they, if they want to testify one way or the other. State Affairs is uh, Senator Kawasaki, Kawasaki's um, uh, committee, and it'll probably have one more hearing there and move to Senate Finance. There is lot, lots of interest, actually, on it. Of course, there are some senators that are from gold mining districts, and one senator owns a gold mine, so uh, they're very interested in it. There's some interest in maybe... Uh, amending it to include a repository language. I think Texas has repository language where uh, if you're a gold miner, you could pay your royalties in gold to the state, and then the state would just keep the gold, and the state would do the same thing that I'm recommending every Alaskan do, and they would have a hedge of gold in their, in their repository for inflation or for, you know, against hard times, if you will. Right, right. Um, all right, Kevin, we're down to the last four minutes or so. What else are you working on in the legislature this year? What do you what do you foresee here coming about? But give us a little prognostication here and tell us what's go what do you think is going to happen in the rest of the session? So, well, in the rest of the session, uh, I think is going to be sort of at the pace uh, yesterday. We, we have some bills coming out of committee now, and uh, we've had pretty much all the hearings that we need to have from uh, the different departments and from the gas companies and that sort of stuff. There may be a few here and there, but it's, it, you know, it's time to get the bills moving. Um, I had uh, HB 255 that I presented on Tuesday, which is the combined South Central Port Authority. So the Port of Anchorage and Port McKenzie and put them together under a professionally managed uh, port authority overseen by a board take the politics out of it, use the synergies of each port to leverage federal dollars or to leverage bonds or whatever to move forward. Think about uh, uh, New York, you know, the New York Port Authority, New York, New Jersey, they run the bridges, right? So we are looking for a way to fund the connect, uh, you know, the bridge uh, from Anchorage to uh, Port McKenzie. Maybe that's the way to do it. Anyways, it started a conversation. Um, it kind of kicked the kick the hornet's nest with the media, if you will. So right. that's uh, that's interesting. Um, I have a bill that we're trying to get through it. Actually, my companion bill didn't move, but the Senate bill moved last year, and it has to do with direct primary care, which will be a game changer in health care for Alaskans. They'll be able to deal directly with their doctor instead of uh, having the health insurance, you know, the 
your doctor and nurse don't need to spend a whole bunch of time coding. Uh, you can actually just pay your doctor directly for primary care, 80 bucks a month, maybe a hundred bucks a month. And right. Most of what, you know, your sprained ankles, your cuts, bruises, strep throat, all that will just be covered. And right. you don't have to worry about going through the insurance company. It's a fabulous idea. And, uh, um, yeah, we've I had we, we've had people on the show to discuss that concierge care, direct care. That is the way I think that is a, a definitely an answer to what we're seeing in the uh, uh, in the healthcare industry right now, especially here in Alaska. Kevin McCabe, final thoughts. We're down to the last sixty seconds. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate it, uh, Michael. You know, we need to hear from people. Um, we we hear have all the teachers down here and the school administrators and the red shirts and the big red buttons and. We don't have enough people that are down here saying, hey, wait a minute. What about my kids? What about the kids? Let's focus on the kids. Uh, you know, same with the PFD. You know, last year we heard lots and lots from people. I heard more from people that saying, hey, I don't want I don't need the PFD. I just don't want to be taxed. Well, that's not what I ran on. I ran on a full PFD. I ran on right. a statutory PFD and I didn't hear almost from nobody. We didn't hear from anybody on well, the full PFD. And, of course, we didn't hear from anybody that they wanted the PFD taken away, and then they're going to face a tax, which is what's coming in the future. Kevin, right. Mc- Kevin McCabe, our guest. Uh, folks, we're out of time. Kevin, hold the line for just a sec. We'll see you tomorrow for Firearms Friday. Be kind. Love one another. Live well. All right, Kevin, I'm sorry I had to interrupt you there. We're up against it. I mean, that's the thing. The all you know those few people that say, "Oh, take my PFD, just don't tax me." Don't understand that when the PFD is gone, the only pot of money left is going to be you. They're going to tax you. You'll hear that. You'll hear that. Oh, you guys have getting a free ride for way too long. You guys, right. are, you know, now you got to pay your fair share, right? I can see the. I can already see the talking points. Right, and you know, remember a couple of years ago when Andy Josephson, or Representative Josephson, said, "Well, yeah, we heard from three hundred people." here that want a full PFD, but what about all those people that don't want the PFD? You know, there's must be tons of them out there that we just didn't hear from. Well, it's the same thing with education. You know, we hear from all these people about a 14, 13 uh, BSA increase, but Andy, what about all those people out there that, that don't want that, that we, you know, we know we haven't heard from. So it's a, it's an interesting, uh, the shoes on the other foot, so right, to speak. Right, exactly. So. Uh, anything else, Kevin? Any final thoughts before I let you go? No, I appreciate the opportunity, Michael. It's good to see everybody again. Sorry I've been a little busy and, uh, you know, just kind of run around with the doing the legislative stuff down here. So we, we pretty much go from 630 to probably 8 or 9 at night. I think I got home at 9 last night. <laughs> it's a better you than me. That's all I'm saying right now. Better you than me. All right. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate you coming on board as always. And we look forward to talking to you again soon. Okay, Michael. Thanks. Talk to you later. All right, folks. Uh, that takes us to the end for today. We got, uh, I got nothing else. I'm, uh, we're ready to just uh, keep rolling. So be kind, love one another, live well. The Michael Duke show. We will see you tomorrow.
we've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show. <laughs> 